Welcome to Birth Mothers Amplified, giving a voice to the women behind adoption. Hosted by Emma and Mathani. Welcome back to our second episode. This is Mathani. And this is Emma. If you haven't had the chance, make sure to go back to our first episode where one, you get to hear Mathani's story and get to know her a little bit more, but also we briefly explain what this podcast is and what we're all about. So today I'm super excited. We get to hear from Emma, just to hear her heart, her story of adoption, and um, it's going to include topics of like teen pregnancy, involved birth father, which, you know, is not always the situation, and a very open adoption. So she's going to go into what that looks like. But first, a little quick background on you. You're 22, you're a Texas native, and you just graduated from Texas A&M. Gigum. <laughs> I had to train you on that, didn't I? You did, you did. Um, we were talking before, and I was like, oh yeah, hook them, right? And she looked at me like I had just murdered her family. <laughs> yeah, like, you're kidding, right? <laughs> I, I really like, thought you were joking. I really was like, oh, was like, not. ha ha. And you were like, no, really, isn't that right? And I'm like, no, no. Ah, you tried, you tried. That's what I did, I tried. So gigum is correct, <laughs> all right. So you love spending time with friends and family. You've been in three weddings so far this year alone. Yes. <laughs> which is crazy. Yes. You love Tex-Mex documentaries and you just got engaged recently I so did. that's super exciting I know. getting married next year super yes. excited for you I'm excited for everyone to hear your story so let's jump right in take us back yeah really just to give an idea of where I was at it was middle of my senior year of high school so I was mm-hmm. I was a youngin. I was 17 years old when I found out that I was pregnant. Right before that, I had been in a sweet season. I had actually just overcome a little bit of a difficult time. I had been diagnosed with depression a couple of years prior and was really working on myself. I was in therapy and I felt like I had finally gotten two feet on the ground. I mean, I was very involved at school. I was student body president. I was involved really in anything. My concerns and stressors were writing my graduation speech or studying for AP exams and getting ready to go off to A&M for my freshman year of college. Then all of a sudden, you know, I find out I am pregnant. And Mm -hmm. I think most of us, I mean, when anyone has an unexpected pregnancy, I mean, you never think it's going to happen to you. You know, everyone jokes about, you know, oh, I survived teen pregnancy, like when they graduate high school. And it's like, you know, that that's like inevitable. Like, duh, you're going to, you know, of course you're not going to get pregnant. And I did. I mean, I was so scared at even the thought that I had a friend go into the store to buy my pregnancy test because I mm. was so afraid for anyone to even see me. And Did you live in a small town? no. It's, it's a suburb, but I grew up here, just knew a lot, had a lot of family friends and friends in this town. And so I just didn't even want to take that chance of running into someone. So yep. anyway, I remember being at the house and I'm with my friend and I take the pregnancy test and seeing those two lines. And it was so difficult too, because I've always wanted to be a mom always. 
And you never think that the first time you see those lines is going to be disappointing. And I think that's Mm. one of the things I've struggled with the most is feeling guilty for being sad. You know, most women look forward to that opportunity of being so excited. And I, I felt that I had totally robbed myself of such a precious moment and experience. And so anyway, of course I'm devastated and freaked out. But the first thing I do is get in the car and go to the birth father's house. The birth father and I had been dating for two years at that point. You know, I go to his house and I ask him to, you know, come out to my car and he gets in. And I mean, I'm just speechless. I, I could not even get myself to say I'm pregnant. Those two words could not uh-huh. come out of my mouth. I had the pregnancy test with me and I just kind of look down at my hands and his eyes follow and he understood. I just break down into tears. I'm sobbing. And of course I'm listing every possible fear you can think of, you know, am I going to even get to graduate? Yep. Are they going to let me walk the stage as if, I don't know why they wouldn't let me, but it was, you know, one of those fears or, <laughs> oh my gosh, like, right. am I going to go to college? Like, am I, am I going to have to find a job? You know, all of the things that you could imagine I'm just listing and something that I'm so grateful for during that moment was his response that I know so mm-hmm. many birth mothers don't receive that I do not take for granted nor lightly. He just embraced me and held mm-hmm. me while I cried. And I just remember- That's amazing. Oh, I mean, and so, unfortunately so rare. Um, right. But he did, he just you know, kept telling me, breathe, 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 like one thing at a time, one thing at a time. But so the next couple of weeks, it was just processing. I mean, I don't know. I mean, to this day, I still don't know if I've ever fully <laughs> processed that. But How far along were you? So I was probably a little further because again, I was in denial. I was like, okay, next week, if I haven't started my period, then I'll take a test. And I'm like, okay, one more <laughs> week. I, Girl, I, was, yes. I was probably further. I was probably about at least 10, eight, 10 weeks. That's um, so pretty early. Yeah. I like- so I, but I do remember the first time we went to get us a sonogram, it was, mm-hmm. I was surprised how far along yeah. I was, you know, we're building up the courage to tell my parents, well, mm-hmm. I decided my older sister was a good Guinea pig. That was felt a little <laughs> easier than, you know, jumping into the conversation with parents. And so I told my sister and again, I was just blessed with a really beautiful response of mm. my sister being like, Emma, life is beautiful. We're going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And so then it was time to tell my parents. And so the birth father and I told my parents together. So he was there. Okay. Both of my parents are phenomenal people. I owe a lot to them. And the first thing they said when we told them was just that they loved us. And at that moment, I don't think mm. the birth father had truly processed. I hadn't seen him shed a tear. I hadn't seen him express much fear or pain at that moment we had told them i think he just finally shed all of that and my parents immediately comforted him and again most parents that's not the first thing they want to do but they just they were so supportive and and a lot of that is my mom is a birth mother as well Mm -hmm. she She gets it and so for her she had an unexpected pregnancy when she was 21 and she ended mm-hmm. up placing her daughter for adoption. You know, the first thing my 
I remember or one of the things my dad said in that conversation was like, listen, we love you, but we will not parent this child. And a lot of people would think, mm. well, that's a little tough. Like, geez. Mm-hmm. But I, mm-hmm. one, we needed to hear it. And two, I believe yeah. that as well. If we were going to raise her, then we needed to be mom and dad. And that was not, you know, up to my parents. But the other thing that I think was really important that came from that conversation was my mom mm. came out from her closet with this bucket of just things from her relationship with my sister. And it was, you know, a plate from her first birthday and these letters and photos and all these mementos, really a true testament to the openness of the adoption. And that, listen, adoption is beautiful because for him, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he definitely was leaning towards raising her. Not everyone has exposure to adoption, especially not to the extent that I did with how beautiful Mm. it was. I think knowing that open was an option, he became more receptive to that idea. That is when we started to look into agencies. So how did you end up choosing the agency you went with? What were you looking for? Yeah. So of course you start to kind of think of some families that you know. Similarly to you, I felt that a clean slate would be most appropriate. Again, Mm. I was comfortable and familiar with adoption through an agency since that is what my mom did. So we just start Googling adoption agencies. And Mm -hmm. what led me to the agency I ended up choosing actually was a couple um, with an online profile. So we call the agency, they connect us with an options counselor. So someone who was able to come out, answer questions, discuss what the agency can do for an expectant mom. And then by the time we processed the paperwork, and I was assigned a caseworker, that couple actually ended up Mm. getting pregnant. You know, they were pulled from um, being an adoptive couple. And of course I was devastated. I mean, selfishly, I was like, no. (laughs) But but also obviously very happy for them. But yeah, so it really was just from an online profile of a couple I didn't even end up choosing Mm -hmm. that led me to uh, this agency specifically. That's awesome. And so you got a caseworker. Did you start looking at families right away? Or, uh, did you live at home the whole time you were pregnant or was there like a dorm? I had a very supportive family, which also mm-hmm. I think can be unfortunately um, unique as well in these circumstances. Yeah. And so I decided to stay at home to backtrack a little bit. I mm. kept my pregnancy secret. I told my older sister We told my parents and that was it Mm -hmm. until I was five months pregnant. Not even his parents knew until you were five months. And the reason we did that was I was Mm -hmm. so set on keeping it that way that no one knew. I knew that as soon as you tell one more person, it just increases the chances of it getting out. And that's how badly I wanted to keep it secret. Mm -hmm. And so the five months point was once I graduated high school. So I actually was four or five months pregnant speaking at my graduation. No one knew. I mean, that was an incredibly isolating. I mean, I, again, I I talked, talked about, you know, those typical fears and concerns and stressors you have at the age of 17, 18 or senior year of high school. And I was dealing with that while figuring out what I was going to do. 
people having no idea and people are mean. I mean, anyway, yeah. you know, and, and they had no idea what I was going through. And I left my senior year of high school, pregnant, scared, no friends, you know, looking back, I wish I hadn't dealt with it in this way, but you know, I stayed at home. I didn't leave my house. I, I really did not want anyone to see me. And so part of me wonders if, if living in the dorms would have been good for me to have a community, but at least I did have my family. Um, anyway, when they walked, uh, my caseworker walked me through some questions to ask yourself of criteria of what you want in parents. Something that surprised me was you never think, oh, what do I want in my child's parents? Like growing up, it's not like, oh, like. Wonder what my child's parents are going to be like, or like, oh. right. but I had a unique circumstance because my mom had told me why she had placed her daughter for adoption way before yeah. I ever got pregnant. So you always knew that you had an adopt or a half sister. So I found out when I was seven, which is a whole story within itself. Okay. That, and we'll yeah. have, we'll have my mom on for an episode where yeah. we can go into I can't all wait of that. For that, but mm-hmm. I was still seven. So this is still 10 years prior. Yeah. And so I ended up actually having the same criteria my mom did. There were really three main things of one. I wanted them Mm -hmm. to have a strong faith. I wanted them to either have siblings or, or have other children. Something else I knew I wouldn't have been able to provide was being a stay at home mom. I grew up with one. I just really valued that. And, and I didn't have to be the mom. It could have been the dad as well, but I really wanted that at least as an option. I guess the fourth thing would have been open adoption though. That was, that was important to us. And I think we, yeah. we realized the further, mm-hmm. the further along we went, the more that became important as well. How many rounds of books or profiles did you go through before finding <laughs> um, your daughter's family? I um, had been given a round of books of the profiles, five, mm-hmm. five couples. And I hate even saying this, but I mean, I was so disappointed. You know, mm. you feel guilty saying that because we, we talked about this on your episode of, I wish I could have given my child to all of these amazing couples. I mean, I felt bad that I didn't feel a connection and I wasn't necessarily looking for an aha moment or this like, oh my yeah. God, this is them. Like, but I did not feel at peace and th- I did not yeah. feel like they really fit my criteria. And um So that's okay. Oh yeah. I've had to be okay with saying no. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm the person that when someone brings out food (laughs) at a restaurant and they bring me the like totally wrong meal, I'm like, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll eat it and I won't say anything. And so it's okay. (laughs) This is kind of an important decision. I don't have to just, you know, choose a couple, um, because it's the first (laughs) round or whatever. So then I decided, you know what, there's a bunch of online profiles through this agency. And so mm-hmm. I actually went online and mm-hmm. I went through almost all of them and or as many as I could wow. and made a list yeah. of people that stuck out to me and then mm-hmm. gave that list to my caseworker. We were able to narrow it down to five books and I am a classic overthinker. Um, I really get into my head. Sometimes I don't allow my gut feeling to have much of a say in things. You know, I didn't have this, like, I just know, like, you know, read the book. Yeah. I mean, I definitely was like, there were a couple that I was more drawn to, but I was like, oh my gosh. I mean, how, how do you choose? How, like, how the hell do you do that? Thank goodness had my mom and sister and birth father involved to help 
point out some things. Yeah. And so the couple we ended up choosing, my mom and sister pointed out the first word in their book and it was you. And they talked about how you will always be loved and honored in our home. The reason that resonated with me wasn't even, oh, they're recognizing me and acknowledging the sacrifice I'm making and all. It was just the fact that they recognize that this situation is beyond them and just them, you know, that they prioritize others. And that's something I was raised to believe. And they later echoed this in their book when they made the statement that God is first, others are second, and we are third, which is also something that my my dad and mom always raised to teach us. And so those couple things really, really stuck out. And so we decided to go ahead and yeah. go, with, go with that couple. I mean, we met them, I think, a few days later. They, yeah, came in that next week and we went to dinner. So we actually didn't do the traditional phone call beforehand. Okay. I was just going to ask whether. Mm-hmm. Those- and I don't remember why, if we were just like, might as well meet the, I don't know. I don't know why we did that, but we go to dinner. So it's the mom and dad, me and the birth father, and then our caseworkers. And I think our poor caseworkers never spoke. I did not have an awkward encounter. I mean, I guess at first it's like, that's amazing, but it was, it felt yeah. so sweet and I don't know, and tender, it, it was not weird or robotic. And, and part of that, I think, I mean, I'm mm. a very warm person. I love talking to strangers. I'm not intimidated by random people I don't know. So that might be part <laughs> of it. But there was, there was one part of the dinner that really made me confident in these people as being my daughter's parents. At one point, the um, adoptive father looked across the table to the birth father and said, you know, young man, if there's one thing I need to know about you, it's that you're still involved in this and that you're here tonight. And you are more of a man than most men will ever be. And you are more of a father Mm -hmm. than most fathers will ever be. In that moment, I saw how amazing of parents these individuals were and are. We left that dinner feeling so much more at peace. I mean, it still feels weird. Yeah. It's still scary. It's not like, oh, okay, now this is, you know, whatever. Again, to have an idea, an ounce of what the future might look like was just made it a little bit more manageable. Yeah. After meeting them, we wanted, they have two sons, one biological and another one that's adopted. And we wanted to meet them. So later that week, we meet them. The adoptive parents we fell in love with, but I always tell them, I thought they sealed the deal. Their sons totally sealed the deal. I mean, I've always wanted a big brother. And so to knowing that she was going to have two big brothers to love on her and dote on her. Mm-hmm. And, and there was a really tender moment from that meeting that I love to share was the oldest son. Mm-hmm. So he's biological. He was seven at the time and he had leaned over and put his hand on my stomach at this point, I'm about seven months pregnant. Mm. So he puts his hand on my stomach and just says, hi, baby sister. And then turns around and starts climbing all over the birth father and playing games and just such a, a pure and innocent moment because that's just what he knew. And I was, you know, his new sister's birth mom and there wasn't much more to it. So were you and your daughter's birth father on this same page that your entire pregnancy? Were you always both confident in making an adoption plan? Did he ever, you know, maybe say like, hey, would you consider parenting 
her. In the very beginning, he mm-hmm. definitely was leaning towards raising her where I was leaning okay. towards adoption. And it was that moment when my mom shared her story more with him that he became yeah. more open to that. However, in the beginning, it was, I'll consider raising her if you consider adoption. I think just with time and as we met with an options counselor with the agency mm-hmm. and, and got our caseworker, he was phenomenal and so supportive. I think it, the idea grew on him. I mean, his family definitely was not as comfortable or eager about the idea as mine. Okay. And p- part of that is just the stark contrast of, of what your previous experience is. We, right. My family was so familiar and, and loved our experience with adoption that it was easier for them to be excited and supportive about that. I don't know that they necessarily would have chosen adoption. His family? Yes. Were they willing to offer any support towards a parenting decision? His mom offered to raise her or help me raise her. I mean, she was very willing to make it work if we decided to parent. I think where I was struggling was well, if we are going to parent, I, I felt that I needed to be the mom. You know, I needed yeah. to be the one I, mm-hmm. to parent. And, and I can't recall exactly, but I want to say it was she offered to help so that if I wanted to go to college, you know, I could. Mm-hmm. And, and she would say, you know, you will be the mom. You will. But it just, that wasn't, that wasn't the life I envisioned. I think it's easier, you know, before the baby's here to say like, no, you'll be the mom, you'll be the parent. But I think there's also a tendency that I've observed that, you know, if a parent is helping their child raise their child, they feel almost entitled to have huge say in the child rearing. So, you know, his parents may have wanted to have more of a say than you are comfortable with. And by that point, by that point, you know, okay, you've chosen to parent and now you're kind of stuck exactly. in the situation. So, mm-hmm. exactly. And, and I didn't know what was going to happen either right. with the birth father and I. I mean, we're not together mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. And at that time, of course, I wanted to be, you know, I mean, we were in love and I mean, we were in high, but we were in high school. I wasn't going to marry him either just because I got pregnant. And when you decide to parent, it was it would have been also hard on our relationship and would have been put us in a really hard position. And I wanted to guarantee a mom and yeah. dad. So let's fast forward a little bit. So you've chosen the family, you've met their sons. So you were about seven months along. So you still had a whole other trimester before she was going to arrive. Mm-hmm. So what did that look like? What did you, your relationship with the family look like in that time before she got here? I mean, we would text, we would, you know, which mm-hmm. is also a little peculiar, even for open adoption. Usually mm-hmm. it, it takes time because for us, that was natural. It almost felt weirder mm-hmm. to not be as on just because both parties were so transparent and open, but so respectful of the other that that mm-hmm. was right for our situation. And so yeah, I mean, they even met my family before I had had our daughter. 
I mean, they truly were starting to become integrated into our lives. I mean, leading up to it, I unfortunately continued to isolate myself in my house. It was starting to get hard when people my age were starting to go off to college because I was due in October. And so people were starting to leave for college in August. That was really, really weird because I decided to defer a semester. So instead of starting in the fall, um, I was advised to just start in the spring. Did you not have like friends who like reached out in this time? Because I know you said you didn't tell anyone Mm -hmm. pretty much. So I had a couple for, I mean, the friend who was with me when I found out she had known the entire time, she was incredibly supportive. Mm -hmm. One other friend I told after graduation Okay. and yeah, she would come see me. We would go on walks together on a trail because again, I was too scared to even go on the sidewalk. (laughs) So yeah, they were incredibly supportive. I, the reason why I think a lot of people didn't reach out for other reasons, um, Mm -hmm. people were really mean to me end of my senior year of high school and okay. just rumors, classic rumors. And it wasn't even about the, yeah, pandemic, just the kind of ironic part. Okay. I'm like, y'all could have such juicier mm-hmm. stuff to talk, for, you know, to say. <laughs> and I'm like, right. Uh, and so <laughs> the reason they weren't reaching out is because, you know, I ended on unfortunately uh, bad terms with a lot of people. Unfortunately, yeah. when I was about eight months pregnant, it got out. And I don't know how, Oof. I think the hardest part was obviously I, I had wanted to keep it secret and I was so ashamed, but also when you're that vulnerable, when someone shares something like that about you, you feel like so much, I mean, you feel like your privacy has been invaded. You yeah. feel like, I mean, your story is just being told. I mean, I, people were saying that I went to Sweden and or Switzerland I don't even know and I think part of it my dad's Scottish like maybe that's what they were going for and then of course which was heartbreaking as well was you know people saying I got an abortion so insensitive you know you don't want to deal with that when you're eight months pregnant and you're about to deal with a grief that you can't even prepare for and here I am right now I I started getting text of you need to try mommyhood but we didn't confirm anything I didn't really entertain it I mean, finally it was, was time to give birth. And I Mm -hmm. actually was two days early. So you were two weeks late. I was two days early, which I am so jealous. (laughs) And literally the day before I go into labor, I'm like going up and down the stairs trying, like, I'm just like, so ready. I had a pretty quick labor and delivery. Don't tell me that. Mm -mm. (laughs) (laughs) I, I got pretty lucky. Um, It's so odd, the whole memory of the hospital, because it was such beautiful. I mean, you talk about the first time you see your child. I mean, those moments are so intimate. Again, just so tender, but you also don't want to rejoice in them either. Out of so Mm -hmm. much fear. I remember, you know, I skin to skin contact was important to me. I did not want to breastfeed. I did not want to risk like bonding to her at all. I mean, I had kept telling myself this lie that I am not her mom. I'm not her mom. Don't start thinking Mm. because I did not want to feel that detachment any more than I already was going to. So I really was trying to avoid bonding with her. But what was hard was I also wanted those 48 hours so badly because we had decided, the birth father and I decided that we were not going to have the adoptive parents there for the delivery nor until we signed um, the relinquishment papers. We were going to use those 48 hours, every second of them, to be with her. Mm -hmm. 
and our families were there that first day to meet her and hold her and Oh my gosh, I don't even know if I remember much of it. It was just chaos and all the hormones and yeah, everything. I, I mean, there's a, there's a lot going on. Oh. And then the second day was more of just us two with her. And that's yeah. when things got really hard. Um, our caseworker mm-hmm. had come in to pr- prep us for signing the relinquishment papers. And something mm-hmm. the agency really emphasizes, um, which I appreciate is they will not even allow you to sign away your rights if they think you're being forced to do it or if you are not in the right state of mind. And you have to take that with a grain of salt. It's not like anyone is just like, okay, yeah, let's do this. Like being sad is one thing, but being totally unsure of your decision is another. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, she's prepping us for it. And that is when the birth father really started to question our decision. I think a lot of it, you know, you mentioned earlier, you asked, you know, was he on the same page? Da, da, da. I think he always had that in the back of his mind was, you know, obviously his natural inclination to raise her right. and that desire. Mm-hmm. But for fathers, and you hear this all the time, the mothers have nine months to bond with the child before the baby's mm-hmm. born. Granted, it's not the same. Once, once the child mm-hmm. is born, <laughs> nothing is like it, but the father doesn't really get that bonding moment until the child's born. And so I think it, it sunk in when she was Mm -hmm. here, the caseworker had, you know, finally, you know, I stepped out and I mean, we walked through what is the scenario that we raise her because I, I told him Mm -hmm. I would consider it as well. Obviously I didn't want to consider it at this point. (laughs) I mean, I was not going to sign away my rights if he was not going to. If he wasn't. Mm -hmm. And it was adoption. You know, it wasn't this one, one way thing. And so we walked through, I was like, okay, well, you know, he was at, at college playing football on scholarship. And, you know, obviously I was about to go to A&M and I was like, well, you're not giving up your scholarship, but I'm, I can't go to A&M. I'll, I'll go Mm -hmm. to community college. I Mm -hmm. have to get a job. Where are we going to live? I mean, I just was asking these practical questions for us to walk through. I mean, if we're going to change our mind, we don't even have a car seat. And then he just, I think finally he knew. And he just, Mm. he was like, Emma, I I just love her so much. And it was so heartbreaking because again, in those moments, you never wish that on someone else. Never. And here her birth father was in just as much pain. And I hated that. You know, I never wanted to pressure him into the decision of adoption if that's not what he felt was right. But in that moment, I mean, he was like, I know what's best for her. I just love her and want her so badly. And that's when we, we decided, okay, we're going to move forward with the adoption plan. And I didn't later, or I didn't find out till later that our caseworker had actually prepped our daughter's parents that we were probably okay. going to change our mind, which is crazy to think about wow. now Yeah, um, that she really yeah. was like, I, I don't know. And I think it's really good that your caseworker prepped her parents on that. There was a possibility that y'all would choose to parent. Like I, have a really good birth mom friend who with her first child, she was so sure she wanted to place her son for adoption. And right before she was supposed to sign her paper, she was like, 
I'm going to make this work. I'm going to figure out. And she did. And she is parenting her son. So I think hopeful adoptive parents should be prepped for that because at the end of the day, if those papers are unsigned, the expectant mom is the parent, Mm. you know, if an expectant parent does change their mind and they decide to raise their child, one of the decision making factors should not be, well, I already promised adoption. Mm -hmm. Yep. Because there's this weird relationship or dynamic that I think people have with adoption that expectant moms owe their child to adoptive Mm. parents. That pressure should never be put onto a woman. And that wasn't why I continued to go with our original plan, but I know that was something that was weighing on me. Like this couple is expecting, but that shouldn't have been a part of my decision-making. You have to do what's best for your child. And if you change your mind, you change your mind. And I think just if the expectant mom chooses to make the adoption plan and um, signs the papers, it's like this, oh, you're great, you're brave, you're selfless, but where is the sadness for the mother, you know? Like if she had chosen, if she had chosen to parent, it would be, oh, so sad, you know, for- For the adoptive parents. For the adoptive parents, for the hopeful adoptive parents. But why aren't aren't we celebrating the fact that this mom or these parents were able to figure it out and make it work? Yeah, no, I think- you raised such a good point. And like you said, I want to reiterate when expectant moms do change their mind, of course, that is heartbreaking for the adoptive parents to then just say, you should only be sad for the expectant mom, you know, when Mm -hmm. she does choose, you know, whatever, but it just shows Mm -hmm. there's two sides of every coin after the 48 hours, which is the soonest you can sign away your rights in Texas. They brought in the relinquishment papers. We actually were holding her while we signed the papers. Um, oh, wow. And the birth father and I did it together at the same time. It's so weird because to this day, I will never look at a signature the same. Mm. I mean, it is mind-blowing the weight of that signature on a piece of paper. Putting your signature on a, on a page takes away, you know, seeing her your child's first steps, hearing their first word, you know, being the one they run to when they're sad. No one can prepare you for that. And so luckily the nurses and the doctors were phenomenal at the hospital I was at. They were so patient with us um, Hmm. and so kind and considerate. So they gave us more than you, usually hospitals are ready to get you out after your 48 hours or you're ready to go. Flip the room, yeah. (laughs) They gave Mm -hmm. us our time. And so we actually did placement at the hospital. We did it, I mean, right after a few hours after we signed away our rights. So that was a big day. That was a really, really hard day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but her parents came into the hospital room and we exchanged many hugs, tears, boogers, laughter. I mean, all of the things. <laughs> um, we gave each other <laughs> gifts. I also have a sweet little necklace that they gave me. Oh, I love that. Um, and I had mm-hmm. given them a scrapbook Because even though we were doing, we both had agreed on open adoption, you don't know what that looks like. You don't know if someone changes Mm -hmm. their mind. You just, you don't know. And so um, I made a little scrapbook of her birth father and I's lives. Then I also wrote letters. So I wrote Mm -hmm. letters on different topics 
so that she could read one day why we chose Mm. adoption, why we chose her parents, why we chose her name. And so that was a really sweet moment to exchange those gifts and words. Anyway, right before we said our goodbyes, our caseworkers were taking photos of us all together and I finally just broke. The birth father excused everyone from the room. And so it was the last moment that just us three had together. Mm. I rocked her and sang her little song. And at that moment, I was planning to hand her over to her parents because the birth father had said, I just, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. And I was like, I'll Mm -hmm. do it. I'll do it. And he was like, I'll hand her over, you know, not realizing that I, I needed, I needed him. I thought I could do it. And I, I had given up. I mean, my energy was gone. I couldn't handle it anymore. So he he had them come back in and, you know, we all prayed together. We said our final goodbyes and he handed her over to her new dad. We watched them leave that room. And, you know, you, you do have those few moments. You mentioned this in your story that even though a lot of it's a blur, those few moments that Mm -hmm. really are ingrained into your memory and watching them leave out the hospital room door Mm -hmm. is an image that will always be ingrained into my memory because that was the last moment we were her parents. It's so hard because you want to be happy for the, this adoptive family that just gained a child. But you mentioned this in your story, you could tell, you know, her parents were so hesitant Mm -hmm. to hold her, to love her, to be excited. And they later shared with us that, I mean, they felt they were grieving for weeks and months because they saw the reality of their family, their family. You know, I I heard this in another podcast once that their family was, you know, founded on this sounds so morbid, but the grave of another, it's so Mm -hmm. true. And it doesn't take away the beauty, but, but it's the reality. Anyway, leaving that hospital to be walked out with no child was horrible. Yeah. You know, to get into the car with no car seat, no cries, no excitement. Mm. I think most new parents experience. And that was really hard feeling like there's such a void. Right. Knowing you can't fill it. And that Mm. really sucked. You know, we went back home and later that week he went back to school, but you know, I I wasn't going to start school for a couple months I mean, I feel like you're just trying to survive and stay, in abo- stay above water. I slept a lot. Unfortunately, that's one of my coping mechanisms. I just sleep. Mm-hmm. And Girl, same. I, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't <laughs> have to feel it or think about it if I'm sleeping. So yep, exactly. I slept for so, so long. And luckily, I was already going to therapy. Talk about the value of therapy. I had been going already for a couple of years before I even got pregnant to have that therapy before, during, and after was so helpful. You talk about that as a piece of advice you would give expectant moms or birth moms. Mm-hmm. It is so true because I had a supportive family. I had therapy and I still was struggling tremendously. And so the thought of a woman being out there that don't have either of those two, I don't know how you survive. Something I had to give myself grace with was because people are like, with time, with time, it will be better. But something that I really struggled with was when I would make improvement and then I felt I took steps backwards. Hmm. I'm like, I thought this was supposed to get easier, but I'm mm-hmm. not okay right now. Yeah. And 
I had to give myself grace with that. That just because yeah. last year's Mother's Day was fine doesn't mean next year's won't be. Or just because the birth, her first birthday was so hard does not mean it's going to be as hard the next year. Or it might be harder yeah. when she turns 10. But I will say, I think what helped the most wasn't time. It was, well, two things. One, starting to share my story. I finally got to a point where I was letting shame drive less of my journey. I was starting to be proud of what I did. And I still mm -hmm. struggle with that, but I think yeah. one of the best have love moments I had was with my mom when she said, you know, Emma, do you want her to know you were proud? And that hit me really hard because I was not letting that pride of her drive how I handled things. And so finally started sharing my story, doing panels where we met. It felt like I finally could bring good of it. So sharing my story was huge. And I slowly started to share with people in my life. I mean, so many people still didn't know until even a year ago, two years ago. The other thing that really, really helped me was the openness of the adoption. I'm a huge advocate um, of open, semi-open adoption. I know it's not the perfect solution in all circumstances, but for me, it was what I needed because I yeah. needed to see my plan work. I needed that. And, and it gives you a sense of closure too, or or it gives you validation. Like I know for me to see her with her brothers. And so we do have a very, very open adoption. We actually hadn't decided how frequently, I don't remember if we did. I don't think we did. I don't think we ever decided how many visits we would do a year. If we did, that went out the window very quickly. They invited <laughs> us to come see her a month and a half later. I mean, they just went into it with such open arms and hearts and minds, which I could never be more, could express my gratitude enough to them for that. Mm. We see her very frequently mm -hmm. and not every birth parent feels comfortable with that. Definitely for the first several visits, a visit would be very painful. Like having a visit with her wasn't always this fulfilling, happy mm -hmm. experience. Sometimes it was painful and it would bring up a lot of feelings and I wouldn't want to bond with her. I talked about in the hospital, mm. being so scared to bond with her. I was scared to hold her when I would visit her. Yeah. And this is the part of open adoption that needs to be discussed, but the, you know, having to hear her cry for her other mom and I'm not the one mm. she's crying for to feed right. her and hold her to not be the one, mm. you know, that, yeah, that she's reaching for. I mean, I think probably one of the hardest things I didn't anticipate this was the first time she, I heard her say mom to her adoptive mm. mom, you know, and those are the yeah. parts of open adoption that are hard. However, yeah. so again, like I said, I got to see the plan work and I got to finally establish this role that has no definition. And there's definitely no guidebook of how to be a birth mom and starting to, to be comfortable in that. And that I am this weird, some people yeah. like to put a label on it. I don't like to say like, oh, I'm kind of like an aunt. Like, I don't, that just sounds weird to me. I That's <laughs> weird. Like, oh, it's kind no. of like you're a cousin or a, you know, whatever. Her parents described me as no. family. Probably one of the greatest gifts I've ever received was on Mother's Day a couple years ago when her mom wrote me a letter. And hmm. prior to that, I had told her that I would be called Miss Emma and you know, there's only one mom and she's her mom. A couple years ago on that mother's day, her mom wrote me a letter that said, I'm giving you your title back. You are just as much her mom. Wow. And at the time I was, and she was so gentle with me. She knew I was not 
there yeah. yet, but that was painful. <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to be, but she gave me this permission and freedom that I never thought I deserved. Mm. That was huge because I finally allowed myself to see her as my daughter and I was her mom. And yeah, not in the traditional sense, mm-hmm. but that was okay. <laughs> I was going to make mm-hmm. this role whatever it was going to be. She was <laughs> going to lead the way and it's definitely unorthodox, but I became more comfortable with that since then. I have grown tremendously. I, like I said, I'm finally not letting shame and fear drive the story. I'm trying to yeah. share it more with others. Do use it as an opportunity just to educate people about adoption as well. You know, I got to go to college and I actually just graduated. You already mentioned that, but graduated, I'm engaged. <laughs> I mean, so many big things and milestones that I thought, you know, I was never going to get to do. And that's not why I placed her for adoption, but getting to do those things. Yeah. You know, I was able to reclaim my life back. Well, Emma, I'm just so thankful to know you. I'm so thankful to be doing this podcast with you. I think it's important work that we're doing. Before um, we go, I do want to ask you, what advice would you give hopeful adoptive parents? Or is there anything you'd want to say to any hopeful adoptive parents that are listening? I think something that is so important to know is an expectant mom doesn't become a birth mom with the intention to take her child back. I think there's such a fear that birth moms are gonna come back and try to take the child or convince the child that they're really the mom, they're the you know real mom or whatever that is such a lie. Right. No woman would go through that if she didn't want what was best for her child. She wouldn't choose other parents to parent her child if she wasn't sure of that. I would really challenge hopeful adoptive parents to be open to an open adoption and to know that our love for your child does not take away from your love you have for your child. That Mm. it's not, it doesn't have to be this competition. There can be two moms and two dads that play different roles. I just think it's so important for birth parents to be involved as long as it's healthy for all parties. But I would really hope that these hopeful adoptive parents would consider letting that birth parent play a role in their child's life. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's a wrap on episode two. Emma, thank you so much for just sharing your heart with us today. I'm, like I said, just excited to be doing this podcast with you. Um, we'll be back next week with another episode. Yes. Thank you so much for listening. Yep. Bye, y'all. Birth Mothers Amplified is brought to you by the Gladney Center for Adoption and Adoption.com. Make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Birth Mothers Amplified. The views expressed may not represent the views of this program or sponsors and should not substitute seeking the advice of licensed professionals. To speak with an adoption counselor, please call 1-800-236-7898. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.